Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a View from the Bullens podcast. Listen to all the news, views and inside track from Goodison Park. This is a View from the Bullens podcast, sponsored by The Beer Keller, Liverpool One. Welcome back to another episode from A View from the Bullens. I am, of course, The Bobble, and joining me is Liverpool Echo's very own Joe Thomas. Joe, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here. It's been brilliant to see Anthony <laughs> achieved over the last few months. Really absolutely pre- loving the studio. Oh, thanks very much. Really, really appreciate it. Again, thanks for, for coming down. We're just going to talk about you, your career, first and foremost, <laughs> before we dive into Everton. You've, you've been at the Liverpool Echo, what, 11 years now, is it? Yeah, about 12 years now. So, uh, so yeah, pretty much 12 years, news bit of my specialty was Hillsborough and mm-hmm. the trials and the legal kind of cases around that so I spent a lot of time doing that a lot of time in the courts pressing and warrants and things like that then moved on to you know sport about a year ago opportunity to come up covering Everton and you know just and you wanted privilege. to jump at that chance did you absolutely like I mean <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like, it's just such a such a wonderful club such a brilliant club and I know it's like we can all get Obviously, it's, t- it's difficult to me. At times, are difficult, and you know, it, with good reason. You mm. know, there's a lot of concern around the place, and you know, on and off the pitch. But it's still an incredible club, incredible fan base. You're getting to you're getting to do this, get to speak to the likes of yourself, <laughs> getting to go and see Sean Dyche at Finch Farm on a Thursday, or go to the games on a Saturday or Sunday. Like you know, it, like it really is a privilege yeah, to, yeah. to be able to do, it and I love it. So, are you still? Are you based in the office? Are you based at home? Based, what are you doing? Based at the in the office predominantly. So our office is on Old Hall Street, so only a ten minute walk or so around yeah. from here. So, so they're mainly a little bit of work from home as well, and obviously you know Finch Farm when needs be, and home and away as well. Mm. So. No, you know, an absolute pleasure to to have you here. You're doing really, really good things at Liverpool Echo. You know, we were just talking off air. We feel as a, as a Everton channel, Everton podcast, that your interaction on Twitter has been is, is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, and you are a a person, a source that fans can speak to because you do get to go to the press conferences. So, just touching on 
press conferences, talking as in your position. What's it like going to, to Finch Farm to interview the gaffer, the man, Sean Dice? Because people only see what goes yeah. on from the outside. What, what's it like on the inside, Joe? It's really, really interesting. And like, it it changes week in, week out. Sometimes it can be quite intimidating. Obviously, the mood of results always yeah. has an impact on things as well. But like, obviously, so... You see the press conferences on on YouTube. I haven't put them on live on that. I go in a bit after that. So if for those people who don't know, the press conference is split into two. For the so, newspapers, right? So yeah, so you have effectively the broadcast media first. That's live. So you have Sky Sports News asking questions, BBC asking questions. So who, get, who, who gets to ask the first question? Always Sky. So normally Vinnie Connor right. from, from Sky. So it always starts with them and then it goes through the motions. And to be honest, I'm glad I'm not part of that for two reasons. One, because obviously if you have a little bit of a head-to-head with a manager, everyone can see it and you don't <laughs> want to... Or if he puts you on the spot and believe me, Sean Dice can put you on yeah, the spot can. a little yeah. bit and then you're there flustered trying to work out how to respond. Obviously it's all live then it's on TV so people can see it. Yeah. Um, and then the other reason as well is because I'll probably go quite late down the pecking order. You can just you can just see the people around me. Don't ask my questions. Don't ask my questions. Don't ask my yeah, questions. Yeah. And I think that's why sometimes because uh, I hear this a lot, you, know, you get to the back end of the live bit and people say, oh, you're asking the same questions or you're labouring the same points and things like that. I think that's because sometimes there might be eight reporters might have gone before that person. Yeah. They feel like they need to ask a question for their own stations and that. And 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 then obviously yeah, there's a bit of repetition. But then the cameras go off and then a lot of those reporters go out of the room and then there's a separate bit, an embargo. So, so who gets so, to stay in that room? That so basically it's one. the printed press. So it'll right. be the likes of me, the likes of you know Paul Joyce, likes yeah. of Dom King, Andy Hunter from The Guardian. Probably normally about five or six of us. So it's a little it's a little bit more intimate. Exclusive. Yeah, a little bit more exclusive. And, and that's an embargoed section. And what you'll see is basically the idea is obviously the TVs get something that goes out then and there. Yeah. But papers don't tend to come out until the following morning. So, you know, it could be 13, 14 hours until there. So ideally we need something or the potential to have something that's a little bit fresher for that for when the papers come out. And that's why what you'll see is, and like I'm sure fans notice this and wonder why and if it happens like this, but say for instance, under Frank Lampard, the press conferences would normally be on a Friday, Friday Mm -hmm. afternoon. So what we do is for the printed media, our stories would be embargoed until the next day's paper but they'd embargo online until 10.30 that night. Yeah. The idea would be in that is for those who follow on Twitter or watch BBC News or Sky News, you have the front and the back pages that go out and you know obviously they have discussion shows around. Yeah. Well, sometimes Everton stories make the back pages, so the stories effectively come out already. That's the whole idea of that. So if you're sitting there on Twitter and at half past 10 on a Friday night, all of a sudden you see a flurry of Everton stories coming out in new lines. That's that's why, essentially. That's, that's it. It's, it's, it's not just weird random time and every week we're breaking news <laughs> reality is a bit of thoughts going behind it and that's effectively the starting pistol for us to go with our stories for you know so when we've asked Sean Dyche questions what well, then we can yeah. then print it and publicize it and things like that but it's yeah it's, it's really interesting obviously it's a privilege it's to get that insight yeah and to try and build a relationship with the managers but it's very different between Frank Lampard and Sean Dyche you know they're very different experiences and how do you really find that do you find it easy to talk to to Deitch now, or did you find it easier to question Frank? How, how did you find it? It's getting easier to talk to Deitch as we're starting to find each other out a little bit. Yeah. But as a starting point, it is a little bit harder. You know, Frank was... I liked Frank a lot as a person. He was quite open, wasn't he? he? And he was, he was very, yeah, he was very open and he mm. was very honest. I'm not saying that Deitch isn't, but, you know, if you asked him a question nine times out of ten, he'd give you an answer. And if he didn't understand the question, he'd try and work with you to yeah. get through it and try and provide you with an answer. With, with Sean, he's a bit harder on that and you'll see it a little bit sometimes with Vinny sometimes on the TV things he'll give you a one word answer and quite often it'll be like 
to the question that you're not expecting. You think you're giving him an easy one, I give you an easy yeah, answer, yeah, yeah. and you can just see it. And sometimes he just holds this, he holds the eye contact that menacing second. Mm. And you just see that. I think he's done that on purpose just to test me. <laughs> so I'm just grateful that when I'm doing that, it's off camera because otherwise, if I was on it, I'd just be a stuttering wreck or something. Have you ever broken a embargo? No, no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm a. You behave. I, I behave myself. Well, so, so, for the listeners, for the viewers, if if you so you get to go to the exclusive part mm. of the interviews yep. or press conferences, if you did break an embargo, so say it was meant to come out at ten thirty mm. for hypothetical reasons, yep. and you let it out at quarter past ten, yep. so you beat the likes of Paul Joyce yep. and the Bobble and others, <laughs> <laughs> what would happen? Uh, well, it'd just be a massive breach of trust, really. You know, that that's it. It's outside the the kind of parameters in which we operate and in which, you know, we work together. So, you know, if you just do that, the whole thing breaks down and it's a mm-hmm. free-for-all and then nobody benefits from it at all whatsoever. So, you know, it'd just be a big breach of trust and I'd probably end up not being allowed into those sections. And to be honest, rightly so. Obviously, sometimes the same stories come out from other angles, you know, when, when something's a hot topic, you know, especially over transfers, you might have a discussion over transfer policy or a particular sign and yeah. with the manager and embargo bit, and then news might come out from, from elsewhere, from, from the other club. And, you know, all of a sudden that makes a, the embargo time redundant, but more often than not, you stick to it because, you know, basically it's, it's the rules under which we operate. Mm, very, very interesting. Do you get briefed before going into press conferences? Again, for the listeners and the viewers, do you get briefed what questions you can and can't ask? Nope. So, uh, yeah, no brief or anything like that. No discussion with the club. There's no kind of, can I ask these? Is it okay? It's fair Absolutely game. nothing like that. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's fair game. As you can probably see, sometimes I think tends to often be the BBC ones who do it on camera. They ask about wider topics. It can get a little bit harder because, you know, Frank Lampard was like this and I think Sean Dyches as well. If it's not directly to do with Everton, they don't necessarily see it was within their, their sphere of, of knowledge. Mm. So why comment on it? But no, we don't, um, yeah, there's, there's no kind of pre-checks of any questions or anything like that. And to be honest, if... Like if you see me on Twitter, what I tend to try and do is I try and ask people before I'm going to the uh, any questions, farm, yeah. see if they have any questions, and if I can ask them, I do. Um, can't always ask all of them. You know, sometimes I don't get to ask anything. Sometimes I get to ask a lot. Obviously, sometimes Dyke's answers yeah. in full. Sometimes he doesn't. But I try and put out as much as I can. So yeah, you know, this morning I did a sub. Story on substitutions and why he yeah. uses them so sparingly and so late within games. Well, a lot of people are asking me that on Thursday when I was going to the press conference. Mm-hmm. So I asked him and got an answer and put out there for people to take their views on. So you go to Finch Farm before the game or on the Thursday or Friday? On the Thursday or Friday. On Thursday yeah. or Friday for a Saturday. So post match. Mm-hmm. What's it like post-match? So say Everton beat Brentford 1-0. What's yep. it like post-match? Obviously, that was obviously a really, really good win. So the feeling's nice. Yep. So what's your sort of... You tell us what you do. The minute that final whistle goes... Mm-hmm. What you what do you get up to? So I write the match report first and foremost. So mm-hmm. you know what I'm tend to be doing is during a game, so I'm watching it and tweeting. We have a live blog, yeah. making observations and things like that. Obviously, making notes as I go along. But ideally, I need to have a a match verdict essentially, which is a bit more. It has to have a bit more longevity than a report because the reality is the vast majority of us consume the game somehow whilst it's ongoing. Yeah. Now I know that we have things like the three pm blackout, but there are ways of getting around that. So. A lot of the fan base has already either been to a game, listened to the game, followed it on a live blog, or watched a stream of it by the time of it. So if you just do a straight match report now, it, it can be outdated out date quite quickly. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do a match report, but I'm also trying to kind of look at a few themes and take a little bit of a step back in the analysis mm-hmm. and, and and do that so it holds a little bit more longevity going into the night and into the next day. So I normally have, I'm normally aiming to write about a thousand words and I'm normally ready aiming to have that thousand words ready by, by about 15 to 20 minutes after the final whistle. Yeah, it's quick, so, that's a quick turnaround. 
it's a quick turnaround. It's easier with games. I mean, these have been more in the negative than the positive. It's easier when games are done early. So, for instance, you know, the trip to Arsenal a couple of weeks ago after a disagree, unfortunately, let yeah. Saka and Martinelli through. Although, be it was only 2-0, that game felt like it was done at half-time. Yeah. So I'm starting to preempt things preempt things a little bit. It can be very, very tricky when you have games such as we had a couple of them last season where just things keep changing late on. Yeah. So I think my very first game covering Everton was the, the Turf Moor defeat to Burnley where Everton oh. 2-1 up and it goes... That's a hell of a game was, to oh, come no, into. It was a horrible night. <laughs> and then, obviously, you have things like the, the Crystal Palace when Everton stayed up. Yeah. You know, for you're 2-0 down. Two, so one, so two, when it was 2-0 with Palace, had you already started writing? Already started writing the match report and then 2-1. So then you think it might be a draw. So you start thinking, right, if it's a draw and then obviously... And then when it was 3 you had to rip goes, it up and start again. absolute pandemonium. <laughs> it's a completely different story. I can just remember being there, sat sat in the old wooden press seats there, you know, uh, behind the director's box and he's just got... Goodison is just filled with people, isn't it? Like the pitch is full of people. Yeah, yeah. You've got Lampard in the director's box. Everyone's standing up around me going mad. I'm just like, I wish I could take this in, but I'm just there frantically <laughs> final. Because obviously it was a night kickoff as yeah, well. Yeah, so yeah. the deadline for for our, you know, for our print deadlines, things like that was a lot closer uh, to the end of the final whistle as well. So there's even so warning for immediacy. And then yeah, that also within that game, what I had is I had a front page lined up for, so a news story lined up for when Everton stayed up which I hope they would do which was basically a big piece saying you know brilliant that Evan have stayed yeah. up but it's still not good enough yeah. things need to improve yeah. so there they are you got all this pandemonium around us and they're trying to get this match report done for you know, one of the biggest games in Everton's modern history it's mm-hmm. just unfolded last 15 minutes of the match <laughs> trying to sort this front page out when trying to be fair to everybody and things like that and the age of people like and it's just chaos and you know, <laughs> I, just, I just remember I think one of my searing memories from that is going into the into the bowels of goodness and going to the press room mm-hmm. where we, we had the press conferences after the game. And obviously Frank Lampard was out there celebrating for so long. And we were just all there. And yeah, most people need to get their copy across to their their, their desk, their news desk, probably 11, quarter past 11 to make the next day's paper. Yeah. So you got a little bit of time to put it on the page, yeah. get it all printed and things like that. And it must have been about five past 11 and we're all sat there just waiting just to get anything, anything. from Frank Lampard and Clinton Morrison just walks in, just walks through the room. He goes, he's not coming for you, lads. <laughs> it's going to be another hour yet. He's still on the pitch and we're all just sitting there. We've got a deadline to reach. So obviously that was extreme. That was that, that, that was good. You, you, you take that, that, you know, that was a great night. So, but yeah, so post game, that's what I'm doing. My first thought is is my verdict. So say try yeah. and get, you know, we normally publish that around 45 minutes, an hour after the final whistle, but I don't really have that time. It takes a bit of time to get from the press seats to the press conference room. And also sometimes, depending on the results, depending on their TV commitments, sometimes the managers can be there in 15 minutes after mm-hmm. the final whistle. Sometimes it can be 45. So you don't know. So you have to work on the basis that they're going to be early and then another part of my job then starts which obviously asking the manager questions and you know writing up the responses mm-hmm. to that so so you also travel to the away games mm-hmm. with Chris Beasley Chris, Chris Beasley, Beasley yep, so. your colleague at the Liverpool Echo yep. so when you go to away games what's the hospitality like is it is it good do, do teams look <laughs> after you or, or is, it, is it frosty at certain grounds it's, it varies there's a, there's, a, there's a big variation depending on the facilities like you go to Go to Forest the other day, and that's, mm-hmm. that's quite an old ground. Yeah. You're effectively in a porter cabin around the side. And you always get a little bit of food. You're very lucky on that front. If you're lucky, you get Wi-Fi as well. <laughs> like, normally <laughs> there is Wi-Fi, but it doesn't work every year. Anfield's terrible for, for internet. You, know, you try to work at Anfield, it's really, really difficult. Really? You know, they've got a massive press room, really good facilities, but it's very, very difficult to kind of get on their Wi-Fi if you're not always on it yeah, every yeah. time your computer's not linked to it. But yeah, we normally get looked after. It doesn't tend to be too much of a frosty reception. Most people are pretty sound, pretty welcoming. So 
you know, the experience does vary tremendously depending on where you're going. And, and you know, you go to Tottenham, Tottenham's a you know, state-of-the-art stadium, yeah, one of the best yeah. stadiums in, in, in Europe, if not the yeah, world. So yeah. you go there and you, you're basically in a restaurant, you know, mm. in, in, you, but you go to so somewhere like the city ground or somewhere like Bournemouth, and you're effectively in an office room yeah. you know, to get a little bit of food if you're lucky and that's it. You know, the team who comes out at two o'clock normally you know, get a little bit before then, um, although the club don't release it till two o'clock, which is why that's when we do it. And then, you get team sheet, get program, things like that, and then probably about quarter past, half past two for a three o'clock kickoff, and then we go and find our seats. And again, view varies massively depending on where you're going. So. <laughs> Do you celebrate if we score away from home? <sighs> it's it's really bad etiquette. Because you're not meant to. It's really bad etiquette to do that. I had Paddy Boyland in here what, from The Athletic a good month or two ago. And he was saying he has to sit on his hands. So you have to do, do, do you best. celebrate if we score? I try my best not to. Like I really try my best not to because it's poor form. The, the the worst one in terms of celebrating was probably was Mikalenko at Leicester at the back end of the last season. I just couldn't not celebrate. Did you stand it. up? Though I didn't quite stand, I didn't quite stand <laughs> up, but I like you know I, I kind of you gestured. You know, people people around me would have known. You're you an know, Evertonian. Say, yeah. that, that, that I wanted that goal to go in, and, and obviously you know it was, it was a great goal. It meant so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was a great day in general. Wasn't it was a great it? day. Like, great too, away in that one. Too few of them so mm, far. Absolutely. Do, do other reporters celebrate when they come to Goodison? Yes, yeah. They would say if we're in Europe, I know it's been a long time since we've been in Europe, but the European mm. journalists, they, they celebrate. They yeah. have, their etiquette's different to ours. But So the Premier League clubs, when they bring their journalists, yeah, do they celebrate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, get, you get a few that celebrate on, give us quite. Some, give us some yeah, clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think, to be honest now. I think, I think, there's, I think there's some quite happy Villa reporters the other, uh, the other day when they we're came down and won. Yeah, I think that's... Um, and a lot of it depends how long you close, how close you are to say things like the broadcast media and things like that. Because obviously, you know, with it in and amongst us, and you know, how close you are depends on which ground you're in. But you have things to do in the, the, you know, the club radio stations yeah, and things yeah. like that, or the local radio stations. They can be a little bit more kind of, you know, outward in their emotions. Then so so yeah. So I I, I try not to celebrate. It can be hard sometimes. So I say the Michelenko <laughs> one. I just. Couldn't, couldn't help yourself. Couldn't help myself then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So what, to, just moving on, so what, what's your relationship like with, with the football club? Because, you know, people always think that journalists have a difficult mm-hmm. relationship with pro football clubs, not just Everton, yeah. in, in, in general. What's it like? What's it like dealing with Everton on a, on a daily basis? Because that's what you have to do. Yeah, I mean, ups and downs. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's an absolute roller coaster, and you know, I I deal with them about a lot of things. It's not just the football yeah. side; it's also the business side, it's also the stadium side, and, and things like that. And generally, I find Everton a very good club to work with. I think um, 
you know, underpinning all the trouble that there has been over the past few, you know, past six weeks, past eight weeks or so, and, and, and the unrest that has been. I think one of the things that yourselves have always made clear, and I've always tried to make clear, is there are a lot of very, very good people there that is. work at that football there is. club yeah. and genuinely want the very best for it. Best, yeah. You know, things don't always turn out the right way, but you know, their motives are always positive. Mm, the heart's in the right place. The hearts are in the yeah. right place and their ambitions are the same. You know, we all want the strongest Everton going forward as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that basis, you know, it, it tends to be relatively positive. Obviously, yeah, the way things have unfolded over the start of this year, it's been very difficult. And obviously there's yeah, there's there's been a lot more tension, I think it's fair to say, between obviously between the supporters and yeah. the elements of the fan base and between elements of the club. Has that yeah, been difficult to juggle for you as 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 a local journalist? Mm-hmm. Has, that, has that been difficult? Not not to pick sides, but has that been difficult to report on? Because you've got a duty to do and you've got to report what's in front of mm-hmm. you. And you have to, with all due respect, you have to tackle what is in front of mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. But has that been difficult for you? Because if you do report from purely a fan's perspective, mm-hmm. which you are obviously first and foremost, the club might get the hunt with you over mm-hmm. that. But then if you don't report what's in front of you, the fans then might say, why aren't you reporting that? And there was obviously a big spread that you did, mm-hmm. uh, which was all over Twitter and all over the echo <laughs> and all over social media. And you were absolutely praised for that. And, and rightly so, mm-hmm. Joe, rightly so. Has it been difficult to get your feelings across in a professional manner to almost keep the fans happy and report mm-hmm. what's fair for them, but also to keep relationships strong with the club? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very difficult balance for that. And it's very difficult, perhaps, it's perhaps harder being the local press as opposed to being the national press, yeah. because obviously I'm far more visible. I've got mm-hmm. more of a profile here. I'm someone that, you know, I'm far more accountable to my audience than, you know, say a national reporter who dips in and dips out. You know, you see a lot of on the national websites, the type of people that tend to write critical pieces don't always end up being the the, the reporters that go to the club yeah. week in, week out. They don't have to face the music, do they? And, you know, and, and, and in fairness, you know, most of the, if not all of the, the national reporters, you know, have have applied scrutiny where yes. it's been deserved recently. Um, but yeah, it can be, it can be a very difficult one. I mean, th- the reality is that in my job that the, the last thing I need to do or the last thing I should be doing is trying to keep people happy, mm-hmm. whoever that is, whichever side Agreed. of the fence. You know, my job is to try and be as fair as possible and to, to try tackle and call what's it in front of you. Sometimes that might mean, you know, defending the club where I think that's fit. Sometimes that means criticising the club, you know, where I see that fit. One thing that I think should always be well two things should be fair one is I've got to be fair mm-hmm. and I believe I always have been fair and two I also believe that the Echo should r- rightly give a platform to the fans to express their views so regardless as to, to what the situation is going on and regardless as to what the relationships are with different people you know the fans are the lifeblood of any football club none more so than Everton we saw how vital they were to Everton's survival at the back end mm-hmm. of last season we know how important they're going to be to survival this season, you know, at the end of the day, when you've got a fan base that's as big as passionate, uh, you know, that cares so much as Everton, as it would be the case with, with any club, you know, even if those elements weren't the case, yeah. you know, I believe it's right that the local media do give support as a platform to, to voice their concerns, you know, voice their praise when things are going well, but also voice their concerns when things are going going poorly. So, and that's something that I have kind of sought to do where I can, you know, either, you know, speak either, either re- repeat the the things that are coming to me if I believe that enough people are saying them and they're fair. So in particular, after Brighton, I thought there was a bit of a turning point within within the mood. And yeah, there was. sparked some of the coverage. There was. Um, and I thought that, you know, it became far more pertinent and poignant to be apply more scrutiny. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's it. I, like, I, I think the fans deserve to have a voice and I think the local media should be doing that as well. And, and that's something that I'm trying my best to do. But 
won't always get it right. And then in the same respect with the club, always got to try and be fair to the club. Always want the best for the club, like like all of us. Yeah. But also that doesn't mean not applying scrutiny when it, there's, it looks like things might be going wrong. Did you get criticised from either party? So if you report, again, for the listeners, do you get, if you report on the protest, do mm-hmm. the club contact you and ask questions why or who or what you've you've been up to while you're reporting this, while you're reporting that, or, or, or do they let you get on with it and and vice versa? What's it like? It must be difficult, mate. Mm. It must be really, really difficult. It's, it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. It's, it's very test and very challenging, very stressful. Um, and I think the reality is that not everyone's going to be happy with you, whatever you do. So, yeah, I mean, the, the state, you know, the, the same within journalism, normally you're doing your best job when both sides are unhappy with you. I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, it's it's not trying to find a way in which um, it's not a balancing act where you're trying to get two people equally as annoyed yeah, as each yeah. other to then work it out. Sometimes you're going to be leaning more one way. Sometimes you're going to be leaning more the other way. My intention is always to try and be as fair as possible and to try and give people an opportunity to have a say to defend themselves. So I think, you know, in relation to reporting in the club recently, and it's been a big part of my coverage, been a big part of a lot of people's coverage is, you know, when it comes to the, the club, perhaps having their right of reply in relation to, you know, some of the things that have been going on recently. Obviously, I give it to them, but it's up to them if they take it. And if they don't take it, if they don't take the opportunity, if they don't take the platform to put their own views out there or to put their own counter-arguments to anything mm. that I'm saying or what a significant proportion of the fan base is saying, well, then then I can't do anything yeah. about it. And, and that and that's, that's where it gets a little bit tricky, trying to navigate all those things. But, you know, like I said at the start, you know, predominantly dealing with very good people who want the best, but Agreed. that doesn't mean that we all see eye to eye on the same things. You'll have the same thing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we think we, we have different opinions on what the best is and how to get there as well. But I try and just be as fair and as honest as I possibly can be. And that's all I can be. Then hope that that works out okay with, with everybody else. And if it doesn't, well, it's like, you know. No, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So that's off the pitch. Mm-hmm. On the pitch, Sean Dyche has come in, seven games. Quick little chat about Sean yeah. Dyche's tenure so far. Three wins, one draw, three defeats, three home wins, all one nil. What are your thoughts on his tenure so far at Goodison Park? Making progress. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think, I think that's clear. I think we can all see that from not just the results. Obviously, he's now won as many games as Frank Lampard has this season, but mm. in terms of performances as well, there's clearly a style. There's clearly uh, an organisation. The players know what it is that they're trying to do. Whether or not they're necessarily good enough to execute it every game, you know, perhaps not, but we know that's a legacy that he's inherited as opposed mm. to anything that he's necessarily had anything to do with. It's clear he's got a very difficult scenario, a difficult situation to try and pull Evan out of the trouble that they're in. But I think he's showing that he's given Everton the best chance of getting out of trouble. Are you pleased with how they've been handling Dominic Calvert-Lewin's injury? Yeah, I think they've done it the right way. I think the reality is that, you know, when you look back at the last 18 months, nothing's worked so far. No. Obviously, he has come back for certain stints, but they've only ever been short-term stints. And mm. they've been, you know, coming off after... 60 minutes here and there and missing the odd game here and there or the odd training session. You know, I think the reality is they've probably got one more chance. Certainly this season, they've got one more chance to get it right. And like what Deitch says, the only thing he probably hasn't had previously is an abundance of time. I'm not saying he's ever been rushed back early, but what he probably hasn't done is, and this is due to the severity of the situation they've often found themselves in, he comes back at the earliest opportunity he's available. Yeah. This time he might benefit from it not being the earliest opportunity he's available. It might be the earliest opportunity he's available plus two weeks, plus four weeks. Mm. You know, if you consider things like the international break coming up. At the end of the day, I think if Dominic Calvert-Lewin starts eight of the last 10 games, I think Evans stay up. You know, not, I think Evans, I was going to say easily. I don't think they necessarily stay up easily, but I think the odds are on they that they stay, stay up. up. So, 
you know, if you're in a situation where it's going to be touch and go before the Chelsea game, I think just leave it. He's got another 16 days after that. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's there firing for, you know, that Tottenham and then onwards. And I think it leaves Evan in such a stronger position. Uh, so I think he's I think he's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I think obviously if he hadn't got the points that he has got already, he might have had to risk him. He might have had to risk him. Fortunately, that hasn't been the case. But mm. so I, I think he's done the right thing so far. Mm. You, you did a piece for the Liverpool Echo regarding Sean Dyche's substitutions. We'll yeah. just touch on that. That's been a hot topic. He obviously mm. hasn't done any subs before seventy minutes. He hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't done any substitutions that. I don't class as either for injury or experimentation yeah, before yeah. 70. So you know, in his first game, Calvert-Lewin came off after 62 against Arsenal. That was a but that was with a hamstring injury. Yeah. And then you know, the earliest one he made was 45 minutes of Drissagay coming off for Mason Holgate mm-hmm. at Arsenal. As we said earlier, I think the game was already done yeah, by then. And I think that class is experimentation. I know he's playing Holgate in the kind of a defensive centre midfield role behind closed doors against Stockport yeah. uh, and, a, and, a, and a couple of others. And interestingly, when Deitch played uh, Lampard, you know, Turf more back in the last season, Holgate started that game in centre midfield. So it's clearly a kind of a thought process there, but you know, that's experimentation to yeah, me. Yeah. Like I, I don't see Holgate really holding down a spot in that no. in that position so so when you take all those away from it you, you look at it 70 minutes almost I think we really felt it Nottingham Forest I think it was obvious then yeah we're not Nottingham Forest made those three changes I thought about we looked leggy 70 minutes. I thought we, we looked leggy, leggy. Defin- definitely and obviously yeah, Manuel Den- Dennis and Andrea you came on and neither of them really did anything to suggest that Evan should have proceeded with the no. interest that they allegedly had in those they players didn't. But Ryan Yates come on and had a big role in the equaliser, and, and at the end of that game, I think Evan were clinging on a little bit. So, you know, and again, we saw against Brentford again. You know, slightly leggy. I thought, like I wrote my match report after, it was you know Brentford. Thomas Frank turns to the bench for sustenance for his squad, whereas Sean Dyche had nothing but the fans to turn to, and obviously that helped, and it got Everton over the line. But that's where the situation at Everton's at. Do you, so think, anyway, do you think it's because of the quality on the bench rather than Sean yeah. Dyche being stubborn? Yeah, well, I think I think there's, there's clearly two factors. So I asked him the question, mm-hmm. why are you doing so few substitutes and so late? And his answer was, basically, if I think things are going well, I don't see the need to tinker. And I think if you look over his track record at Burnley, this was something that repeatedly came up. So I think there is a history of him doing that and not wanting to make changes for the sake of it. Yeah. But I, I also think that in this circumstance, you can't get away from the fact that he does have a lack of quality on the bench, a lack of strength and depth in this squad. That might change post-international break with Garner probably having a bit more match sharpness, Calvert-Lewin being back, Patterson being back. Then we might see a little bit more, you know. But I, I, it does look like this is a kind of a theme of his premiership and it might hold regardless of who's on mm. his bench. Are you happy with the style of play right now? Again, that's a another hot topic. Some people are not happy with the style of play. Me, personally, I am. I think it's results first before yeah. anything right now. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Come results first, first and foremost. You know, you've got to be pragmatic. Yeah. But I don't actually think, I don't think it's been a negative style of play oh, either. So. You know, if, I mean, if you look at, you know, just, you can see it, watch, you don't need the stats to back it up. Evan, no. They're getting forward a lot better in bigger numbers. Touches in the more box. touches in yeah. and around the box, creating more chances. Mm-hmm. I think under Dykes, the XG has only dipped below 1.5 once. Yeah. Obviously finishing chances is the next step. That's the big problem that they've got. Yeah. But they're definitely creating more. So, I, and I think it feels like, and perhaps a little bit surprised by this, it feels obviously Frank Lampard after the Tottenham hammer in the back end of last season, he went pragmatic, realised I can't play football to get out of this mess. Yeah. And it became five at the back and it became quite turgid. Obviously he had no choice. So that, that was the right thing for him to do and it saved Everton. I think Deitch is being pragmatic here, but it's interesting to see how he's being pragmatic, but his pr- pragmatic style is slightly more progressive it's than different, isn't it, it was at the back end of mm-hmm. last season. And I, and I like that. 
Mm, it's different. He, he, he makes his midfielders commit more, doesn't he? The likes of like Decore, Amadou, yeah, he tells great. them to push on and get into the box. That's it. And the, the, the Anana one's an interesting one because we asked him early doors how he saw Anana fitting in. He was very clear that he doesn't see Anana as a Fellaini type no, player. Yeah. And I think that's right. You know, he's, he's not as good in the air. He's not as good in the final third. He's still obviously learning mm. a lot about... He's, he's still developing physically and yeah. psychologically. You know, I think he's better in a deeper role. But it was interesting to see against Arsenal away and against Forest, he did end up trying that. So probably a case of needs and necessity trumping his instincts. But I think... I think from those matches, we can see that Anana needs to sit a bit deeper. He has struggled a little mm. bit recently, but you know, Decorey's been you know very very effective, hasn't he? So one final one before you go, Everton to stay up, yes or no? Yes. What position? Sixteenth. Sixteenth. Who, who are the three to go down? Uh, Bournemouth, Southampton, and Leeds. Well, there we go. Joe Thomas from the Liverpool Echo. Thanks for joining us, mate. A real, real pleasure to have you in. Keep an eye on all our social media channels, as always, for all the latest news coming out of Goodison Park and Finch Farm. In the meantime, have a great week. Up the toffees, stay safe, take care, and all the very best. Thank you. <laughs>